Hey guys, welcome to the Dragon's Voice podcast. I am your host, Truly Reese Deans. And if you are just joining me right now, just watching it on YouTube, then um, it's a bit of a sad day in Welsh football for, for many because, you know, with the recent knockouts of Connors Key, TNS and Bala, but I do commend their uh, hard work and everything for what they're doing in Welsh football, especially in European competition. But uh, it, it's sad. I know we lost off. Um, we're only going down from fourth to three teams going into the Welsh, um, into the European competition now. But uh, but I commend all those three teams to have done well. But anyway, let's just get on to the guest today here. And it's none other than the former Shrewsbury Town, Brentford, not in a forest, Blackpool. I, I don't know where to start really, but he has played for Wales as well. It's none other than Paul Evans. How's it going, Paul? Yeah, it's all good. Thanks, Reese. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. The first thing I need to... We need to draw the line here, right? So uh, you say you're a Liverpool supporter. Well, I'm an Everton supporter. So uh, it's... Uh... <laughs> so I'm 1-0 up already. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it was 1-0 uh, for Everton and Tottenham. So, um, But the 4-3, the though, that game, Liverpool and Leeds, I, I know it's supposed to be about Welsh football, but man, what a game that was. Uh... Yeah, it was. It was, um, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, I worked for a year under Marcello Bielsa, the first year he came in, Bielsa, and um, he doesn't change his philosophy at all. So it could be, um, it could be very interesting times. So let's let's get on to it. Let's talk about you then. So how did you start your career in, in football then? Um, well, I, I just loved football, like probably you know a million other youngsters from a, a young age, and I was lucky enough to join a team called Austri Boys Club. Um, they were very, you know, well run um, from under, I think it was under 11s back then. And I think I turned up a few years earlier and the coach kept saying, no, you're not old enough. You're not old enough. Um, and I, I just played for them. I, I did, and then when things started getting a bit more serious, you know, to around under 14s, under 15s, I had a uh, trial at Wrexham. Um, I was actually training at Wolves on a Monday night with the under 16s because that was the only time I could really get there. Um, and I re remember get given a letter saying that I wouldn't be get given a YTS, and I, my dad had to say, "Well, he's still got another, you know, year or so at least left at school." And they were like, "Okay, come back next week." And then I had another letter saying, so that was a bit heartbreaking. And then um, I got scouted playing for the school um, in a tournament in Shrewsbury by Shrewsbury Town. Um, no, go on. Sorry. No, and, that, and then that was it. Really, um, just went in there, centre of excellence, one night a week, and then that was it. Signed schoolboy forms, and then. Um, got offered an apprenticeship. So you spent the first six years of your career with Shrewsbury Town and fair play, you know, uh, most of the times, because me being a Barry Town fan, I have to, um, when I'm on the coach or anything, if Barry are going to play TNS, you know, we're based in Oxford Street, um, sometimes we have to drive past even Shrewsbury and everything. It's a, it's a decent club, you know, and, uh, and I, I know one or two people who support Shrewsbury Town, but for you, what, what was it like to play for a club like Shrewsbury? It, um, it was great. I went, my dad actually took me to my first game um, at the Game Meadow. Uh, we went and watched West Ham for Shrewsbury. I remember being on his shoulders. Um, and then just to play for your local team, it was, it was brilliant. All I wanted to do was be a footballer. Um, that was all I wanted to do when I left school. You know, you get the career people saying, yeah, but what if it doesn't happen? What if this, what if that? And I'm like, well, that's all I want to do. Um, and luckily enough, I think I started my apprenticeship in the July and I'd made my debut in the November for the first thing. Um, but then it, it's quite funny because then I got told 
um, we're not signing you on a professional contract because the government pay your wages, so we won't have to. So I was stuck on thirty-five pound a week, <laughs> and, that, and that had only got yeah, and that had only gone up from twenty-nine pound fifty a week when I hit seventeen. <laughs> so it was, um, but it was it, brilliant. It it really was. There was about I think there was maybe twelve or thirteen of us, you know, first year and second year apprentices, and yeah, they were long days, but they were filled with a lot of fun. Do you know when you did become a professional and you, you went off to play in the first team and everything, does any particular moment stand out for you when you were playing at Shrewsbury Town? Because there's the thing about a lot of people, when I speak to a lot of footballers and some of them, whether the big names or small names or anything like that, there's always a story to tell. And, you know, and not many years told for clubs like Shrewsbury, you know, because of the, just the smaller clubs compared to what the big teams are. Um, but you got a particular yeah. fond memory of, of being at Shrewsbury? I had loads. Um, I had loads of memories. I scored my first league goal, the winner away at Wrexham, um, and that was that was mad because literally, obviously, is in between Shrewsbury and Wrexham. Um, and then I, about a month later or so, I was walking home one night with my mates, and I got beat up by the Wrexham fans. <laughs> so I had to de- <laughs> so I had to detour around the middle of Oxfordshire any time I was going home after that. Um, you know, there was there was loads. As you say, I met really good friends there. There was good times. There was bad times. Um, but it, it, it's all part of the journey. And it, you know, I did have some disappointments. I, I think I played, you know, fifteen or sixteen games. Then we were playing against Blackburn Rovers away, and Kenny Douglas was a manager, and he was my hero. And I got dropped completely. I'd played all the other games except one, and got yeah. dropped completely. So it was like, and then we made it to Wembley. And um, and then me and my friend, who was an apprentice with me, we got dropped at Wembley as well. So it's it, there was good times, there was bad times, but it was I wouldn't change it because even in the apprenticeship days, when the season finished, we had to paint the steps at the ground, dig the pitch up, seed it, you know, getting getting the system on to water it. And then if you'd done something wrong or, or weren't weren't doing something right you know, you lost the forfeit, you had to stand in the corner of the ground pumping for about 15, 20 minutes to get the river water going and then sprinkling the pitch. Do you so. think Do you think football, in today's football, do you think that um, that's sorely missed, that kind of apprenticeship things where you're cleaning the stadium or you're washing someone's boots? Do you think that that is missing from today's discipline of the football world? Um, I think it's definitely missing. Uh, I don't know if it's discipline, but it's more of when you realise then if you do become a professional, what you've gone through during your apprenticeship, you know, you should strive towards that. Nowadays, the academies in a lot of clubs is probably as good as facilities as the first team. Mm. Um, so when they make the step up, they're just like, oh, it, it's the same. You know, we used to have to do jobs. Would We would be in at eight in the morning and you would never finish before five at night. You know, you've been cleaning the boots. You The day before match, you had to scrub the whole dressing rooms, home and away, the corridors, everything had to be immaculate for the first team the next day. And, and we were playing the next morning. But if it wasn't right, you know, we'd get told and then if it could be seven o'clock at night, we'd still be there. And if it wasn't happy with the manager, we'd be, okay, no, do it again. Mm. Because then, but then when you did become a professional, you you respected, you know, how lucky you were to be a professional. But I think nowadays it's, I'm not going to say it's easy, but I think there's a few things that they they don't do, which they probably should do to, you know, to give them that thing for when they do become professional, they you know earn a little bit of it as well. Yeah, I I suppose as well because you know with with a lot of academies, the any any type of club does things different compared to the others, so it just depends on what where what field 
where you are, what club you, you're doing it at and who you're going to play for, I suppose, as well. Because yeah. you, you, and you never know, because, I mean, um, it's like me with, uh, with my team with Barrytown, you know, we, we do some things differently compared to others. So it just depends on where you are at the specific moment in time, which football club. Um, Definitely. And it's just like, I, I'm no footballer, but I mean, uh, for the amount of uh, people I've had on this show, and they've always said, uh, you know, the apprenticeships where it was 25 to 35 pounds, uh, I don't know if it was per week or whatever it was, but uh, it was that. Then it was, you know, you've you got to clean the boots, you've got to do this, do that. And this is how you're going to work hard to earn, you know, your position in the team and just be grateful about it. You know, and it, it's sort of thinking, well, that is really good. It's like, like you say, you say it's not a discipline. It's like it, it helps you mature a bit as a footballer, uh, if, if I'm right in saying so. But uh, I don't know from your perspective, you have played. Yeah, so. yeah no, no, it, it did. It did. But you, you know, it, it wasn't like nowadays, you know, you'll get some 16 year olds and they'll be on, you know, X and Y amounts already. And, I, and I'm not talking just at the top Premier League clubs. I'm probably talking around you know league one clubs as well they'll sign kids on you know five six seven hundred pound a week mm-hmm. but the thing is for these kids and then i know with the under 23 system they could be on you know six seven hundred pound a week if they don't if they get released from there they they can't expect to go into a another league club to play in the first team on that much money because they've not really done anything in the game you've you had to earn your way i, re- I remember when at the end of my second year apprentice i think i played maybe 10, 12 games in the first team. And my contract offer to start with was exactly the same as a lad who had played 10 minutes in the first team. Mm. You know, and, and, and that was that. And I was just like, and then it was only because the older pro said to me, no, you need to go and ask for a bit more money. You know, it, it's things, but things like nowadays, you know, con- I think clubs, especially the bigger clubs, will sign younger players on just so someone else can't have them. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, especially because, funny enough, we were talking, me and my mates were talking about this, um, and I, I don't want to be open for criticism, especially with Cardiff City supporters as well, but um, uh, we were talking about, you know, where, where the, the youth system was going, and at the moment, um, one of the, uh, the youth players has gone from Cardiff to Crystal Palace, uh, Sean Spence, and, um, and it seems to me that um, with Cardiff, it seems to me that there seems to be a slope going uh, going downhill for them, whereas Swansea on it up with their uh, their uh, youth academies and everything like that, you know. Um, but <laughs> but in, then you say that it's like I don't know the ins and outs or anything like that, and then you you try and compare yeah. what's going on in the early nineties and then in in today's time of how these footballers are approaching how they're trained and how they're going to approach things and come into 90s it is a big massive difference you know and it's it's like a totally different game yeah i've really got to say it's like a totally different game even the main games on the saturday now are you know they're totally different from how they are years and years ago um but it's evolving isn't it yeah that's just the way it is um you know there's more there's more players in squads there's more squads at at different clubs now you know there's under 23s there's under 18s under 23s first team back in my day it was a youth team the reserve team would probably be most of the youth team and a few of the first team who hadn't played on a Saturday um, but I, I think that's just the way the, the game's gone and the, the game's evolved but you know I, can, I can't speak about other clubs or anything I can only talk about when I was young but there was a lot of good 
young players coming through Swansea and Cardiff. I played in the Welsh youth team with quite a few of them. Um, Jonathan Coach, Di Barnash, Tony Bird, you know, to name a few from Cardiff and Swansea. Wrexham as well, you know. Yeah. There, was, there, there was always lots of lots of good young players and everything. And, and most of them went on to, you know, have a career and play in the first team as well. Um, but it's, as I say, it, it, it's totally different today. Let's go on to Brentford now. And Brentford is the club that you've made a name for yourself there as a club legend. And I really, I, uh, well, I spoke to one or two uh, Brentford, uh, Brentford supporters. They're like, oh yeah, club legend. And uh, I was like, okay. Um, uh, but I really wanted Brentford to go up this season, uh, last season. I really wanted them. I thought they had, they had the it factor. They had it, you know, it'd be a nice fairy tale story fairy tale story for them to go into the Premier League to move from the old ground into the new and yeah. um, how did you feel about their process last season and how they tried to get promoted I was the same I was the same I was, I was gutted I thought you know and me leaving Griffin Park after so long I still speak to you know a couple of people who work around the club who've been there a long time um, and it was it was as though it was a fairy tale written in the stars but it's football, nothing's written in the stars and everybody knows, you know, that everybody thought, sorry, that it was going to be the perfect ending, but it wasn't. But they've got another time, you know, another go this year. They're in the new stadium, so they get promoted to the Premier League this year. It'll be, what, a first, first year in the new stadium, which they, they deserve a new stadium, you know. The brand of football that they play is really good. I think it's the right way um, of the way they want to play. But they just fell short at the end and it's a long, hard season, and especially last year with everything that went on. Um, but they'll learn from it. They'll learn from it. Look at Leeds. Um, you know, the season before Leeds lost to Derby in the playoffs and just faded away. This year they went, you know, everybody thought that they might, you know, slip up again and it was going to be West Brom or Brentford, but they kicked on and they won the league quite comfortably in the end. So hopefully, you know, Brentford could, can do what Leeds did and, you know, win the league comfortably and that'd be a great first season at Griffin Park. And not in Griffin Park, away from Griffin Park, sorry. And uh, let's mention about your halfway line goals then, Preston North End and, and Burnley. <laughs> it seems, I was do, when I was doing my research, um, all I kept mentioning the most was your halfway line goals, especially like, uh, like I said about Preston and, and Burnley. So um, do tell about the, those two matches then. But why is it that I, I, I keep researching and those two moments pop up then? Um. Well, they, they, they happened one weekend after the other. Um, the goal against Preston, um, we come out for the start of the second half and I said to one of our players, keep his miles off his line. He was like, go on, have a shot, have a shot. I was like, you're joking. I'm not going to shoot straight from kickoff. Um, and then they equalised. And I looked again beforehand and he didn't. He was standing in the same position to us, thought, you know what, I'm going for it. Um, and it went in. No one realises because the camera goes off it that I actually slipped when I hit it as well. <laughs> but that goes in. But the the Burnley one was the week after. But it was funny because um, I work at Sheffield United now and we played Burnley last night. So I was just reminding a couple of our staff, oh, have I ever told you about the goal I scored here at Burnley? So we went and stood on the pitch last night and I tried to... Well, I didn't try and do it again. I just showed them where I kicked it from. But um, no, it was, it was brilliant because I'd had very little press or anything as you say playing at Shrewsbury um, we did a little bit of press but when that happened it went crazy all week 
Um, I think the evening standard was down there, the local news. Can he do it again? He's not, you know, and all things. And then it, the ball, literally, I think one of their players tried to play it across the pitch near the halfway line and the ref, it hit the ref. So I just, it just stopped dead. So I nicked in front of it and then I saw the keeper and I went for it again. It was probably because the one the week before went in, I don't know. Um, but then it just, I just caught it nice and it went in. And yeah, it's crazy because I had to do a thing um, for Brentford for a, a kind of a leaving, leaving video. And they said, oh, which was your best goal then too? And I, I said, no. And they're like, what? I was like, no, I scored away at Chester on a Tuesday night. And that was my best goal for Brentford. But everyone's like, but no, no, that one's fine. I was like, no, this one was, it wasn't far from the halfway line, but the way it went in and everything, I caught it on the half volley and it just flew in and I was like, wow. I was like, I can't believe it went in. But everybody always speaks about them two goals, but I'm quite happy with all of them, really, to tell you the truth. No, that's fair enough. And uh, I, I want to mention as well about um, w- with Brentford, because at the time you, were, you signed for Brentford, uh, they were technically owned by the actual boss of uh, Brentford Football Club. It was Ron Nodes, uh, who, uh, who was the manager and the chairman yeah. it, it, or slash owner at the same time. So to you, for your experience with the boys and everything, when Ron was managing, but at the same time running the football club as well, uh, how did you guys feel? Did you feel a bit intimidated that uh, he, he was, you know, doing two jobs at once and being in a, a position of power where, you could do whatever you want. If you play bad, you probably could say, oh, you're fired or something. But what was he like to have a manager and as a chairman? Um, he was a very clever man, Ron. I know he's passed away now, but I, I, he was a very, very true businessman. He was clever. He was the manager, but he employed three amazing coaches. And then one of them moved on after one season and Wally Downs came in. Because this is, what, this is what I mean. He was very clever. I, we had Ray Lewington who's gone on and worked with Roy Hodgson, Terry Bullivan, who was an amazing coach, and Brian Sparrow. And they did all the coaching and everything. Ron probably, you know, Ron picked the team and just kept an eye out. But, you know, Ron had never come on the train and pitched and this and that. But as again, he was the owner. So when you had to go in and try and negotiate the bonuses at the start of the season, well, you had no chance. The, the man was too clever. Yeah. The man was too clever. <laughs> I, I even, I'd, I'd, I've told the story before, when I... My, it was my first move away from Shrewsbury. So I lived in Oswald Street, you know, a little town on the English Welsh border. And I'm in London um, on this Monday afternoon after doing a whole day of medicals. And I'm in there with my agent. And we're sat across the table and my agent wrote something down. And I don't know what he wrote down. And he passed it to Ron and Ron just looked at it, scrambled it up, threw it, hit him in the face and went, you were joking. And I was like, is this supposed to happen? What's going on? And my agent's phone kept ringing. And he wanted me to go to another club, my agent. And I was like, I don't want to go. It was Rushton Diamonds when they were non-league, when they were going up. And he went out and he went and took a phone call and one went, look, he's asking for stupid money. I'll give you this, I'll give you that. Is everything okay with that? And I said, well, yeah, what about appearance money? I'll give you this appearance money. I was like, yeah, that's fine. He went, I'll give you another tip, get rid of him. <laughs> and that was it. But he, he, he was good. As I say, he was a very, you know, very clever man. And Ron probably from some Brentford fans won't get the credit he deserves, but he did put them, he did put the club back on the map. We won the league that year. Um, and then the, two out of the next three years, we got to two finals at Cardiff, which, you know, he didn't spend much money. Um, so I, I think he, he took a lot of credit, but he, he was great. He, he really was. And at once, I think he was getting quite a bit of stick from some of the fans. So he just moved the side and then Ray Lewington took over. 
yeah till the end of that season so playing a bit of money ball was it kind of would you uh, say so no no i don't think it was money ball ron had a lot of knowledge of you know a lot of knowledge of players and he had a a bloke who who was his chief scout john griffin who knew near enough every player in the i wouldn't probably say around london definitely but probably half of the country and you know john griff made some great signings and he he did a lot he did a lot for that club it was it was no money ball idea or anything like that we he bought some good players but we had a great you know really good team spirit at the time there and i think that got us a lot as well let's move on to the call up you had to go and play for wales and so uh Mark Hughes, uh, was it 2002? Uh, Mark Hughes yeah. was sort of coming. I think it was just his last uh, year or two at, uh, at, at Wales. But uh, how did you, um, what happened when you got the call up from Mark Hughes to say you're going to play for Wales? And how did you feel when you, when you got to Wales to play for Wales? Oh, well, um, well, it, literally, it was, um, there was talk that I might be in the squad. Um, a couple of times and the, the squad got announced and I wasn't, which, which was fine. You know, I was playing in League One as it is at now for Brentford. And then um, my contract was coming to an end and Steve Coppel come in the training ground and after Monday afternoon training session and he just stuck his hand out and he went, oh, congratulations. And I was a bit like, and I went, I'm not going anywhere because I knew Bristol City were, were putting bids in. I went, I'm not going anywhere. He went, no, he said, you've been called up to the Welsh squad. I was like, wow. So I literally got showered, got my boots, went home, got a suit, and I drove straight down to the Vale of Gamorgan. And I remember turning up and Eddie Nitzvesky and Mark Hughes come to, and they said, oh, they went, oh, we weren't expecting you till the morning. And I was like, uh, they went, no, 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 brilliant. And I trained, I think, trained on the Tuesday, and I came on a sub against the Czech Republic on the Wednesday night. We drew nil-nil. I come on for Robbie Savage. Um, and it was amazing. It was unbelievable. What was it like to be playing with the likes of Bobby Savage, Ryan Giggs, uh, probably John Arthur, Simon Davis, you know, all them players, especially uh, being guided by Mark Hughes as well. What, what was it like to be in the presence of those players? It, it, was, it was great. I, I was quite lucky enough because in my under-18s and under-21s, when I got caps for them, I played with Bobby Savage, um, John Artson. So Danny Coyne was also in the under-21s, Gareth Taylor. So when I actually got into the squad, I knew quite a few of them. Um, obviously, when the, you know, the Craig Bellamy's, Gary Speed, God rest his soul, and everyone were just amazing. You know, Simon Davis, all of them, they were, they were just brilliant. Really top, top draw people, made you feel welcome. Um, you know, and as I say, they were playing in the Premier League and I was in League One. But, you know, I, I always remember speaking to Gary Speed and he's like, oh, you played so-and-so at the weekend. Didn't you? You did well, this and that. Who you got at the weekend? And he'd know. And it was just, you know, it was just like, wow, he, he knows something. But they were just great people. And it was a really good time to be in the squad as well. I, um, I say I'm probably the luckiest Welshman because I think I was in about five, six squads and I didn't lose a game. And in that time, we played the Czech Republic, Croatia, Germany, Italy, um, Azerbaijan, Finland. So... I was quite lucky and there's a couple of nights at the Millennium Stadium which never ever leave my memory. They were they were amazing. You know what, a lot of people are saying now that um, because the Cardiff City Stadium is the home of Wales international football team, but um, yeah. how, 
I, I suppose you already answered my question then because you said about Millennium Stadium, but uh, oh, everyone to call it now. They called it the Principality Stadium, but Millennium Stadium. But it's like it's the oh. Millennium Stadium. <laughs> yes, it's the Millennium Stadium. But uh, yeah. but um, if you were, if I should say, how special was it to have the Wales games at the Millennium Stadium? Uh, just to be, you know, out there in seventy thousand people. If there was it, because the attendances they they were up and down. Because uh, I mean, at one point it was like forty thousand, then it was seventy thousand. But how special was yeah. it? So what 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 is your thoughts? It's basically two questions. How special was it to actually play at the Millennium Stadium? And what's your thoughts on the games that Wales had at the Millennium Stadium when it came to attendances and how? Well, I think I, I don't remember. I think there might have been around twenty to twenty-five thousand when I made my debut, um, which to me it, it, it was just amazing. You know that night is so special, and I was in the squad, but I didn't make the bench for the two game. I, I was on the bench, sorry, for the Germany game, and I think that was probably forty odd thousand. Um, and then I wasn't on the bench, but was in the squad. So again, this is how good Mark Hughes was. Everybody warmed up who was in the actual squad together. Um, and they used to call them Red Wednesdays. So everybody was, you know, asked to wear red, the fans coming in. The music was all Welsh, you know, Welsh groups, everything. And that night, I remember, I think a few of us, we literally ran in out of the warm-up, had a shower, got our suits on and got the lift up to the box for the national anthems. And wow, I, I don't think you can get, you know, I don't think you can get much better than that. But then again, I, you know, I, I'll always follow Wales and everything. And I've watched the games at the Cardiff City Stadium. And it seems very good, you know. I know they're, they're what is it, 35,000, 30, 35,000, the, the capacity there? Yeah, roughly around about that. Roughly, yeah. So a full stadium is much better than, you know, a, a half full stadium. And the atmosphere they create in the Cardiff City Stadium, I think that's something special as well, especially when, you know, they start the anthem and they, they, they turn it off and the crowd carry on singing it. So whatever's an advantage, it's probably more of an advantage to play at the Cardiff City Stadium. If you could guarantee 70,000 at the Millennium Stadium, then obviously, you know, the Welsh FA and everybody would want to play there. But I think, they, I think they've got it right at the moment, definitely. Yeah. I, do you know what? I, it's amazing because I, I, I remember my first game of, of Wales and I, and I do believe it was Wales v Northern Ireland. Um, uh, it was too all it was. But I just remember how deafening it was, you know, uh, how buzzing at the Millennium Stadium was and how much and I, I remember just being a kid just closing my but any kid would do that because you know the, the noise yeah. is too loud but I just remember just closing my ears but I kept going Wales Wales like that because it was just the, the buzz you just get out of it yeah. and it could have been 3-2 if uh, Robert Earnshaw's pelly kick actually was on point you know so uh, mm. yeah. <laughs> but um, it's crazy, you know, you're yeah. talking about that. The first Welsh game I went to was uh, Wales 3, Spain um, nil, I think, or was it one at Rex course when Mark Hughes scored the scissor kick. And my dad had took me and I was in the cop end that night. And I'd say that stuck with me forever. And yeah. I went back and, you know, they'd beat England there. And it was it was so good for me, you know, when Wales were playing at Wrexham. Um, you know, because it was back then, it was, you know, you'd park the other side of the bypass and you'd walk down. It was the whole thing. And as I say, that night when they were beaten three 0 and Sparky scored that, you know, bicycle scissor kick, where everyone's just like, oh. it was. But they, it sticks with you. It really yeah. does. Um, what was it? You, you said that now, and years and years down the line, you're you're playing for him. You know, you you play. <laughs> yeah, it just amazing. Back, you're just looking back now, thinking, Jesus 
Christ. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it, it was, you know, I used to, as I say, I used to watch the Welsh games and everything. And when I was in the under 21s, he, he was in the, in the full squad and everything. It was just, you know, the, the stature of the man and what he'd done in the game and everything. It was just like, wow. And then, and then he was your manager. You had Gary Speed as your captain. You know, yeah. examples, the best example of a, whoever wanted to be a professional footballer, if you followed them, did what Gary Speed did, you would not, you know, you'd probably have the, an amazing career. Yeah, and it's, it's mentioning Gary Speed then, and I always try my best to whoever I have guests on the show who has played for Wales, especially who played alongside with Gary Speed, you know, um, I always ask about a story or a moment or anything like that, and you can't say a bad word about the bloke. You can't say anything neg negative because there wasn't anything negative to say. He was that special. But I think some people today, some young fans, probably, uh, dare I say, younger than me, even though I'm 24, <laughs> but it's like they're saying, oh, how special was Gary Speed? And people older just go, how special was he? he I mean, you're thinking that Wales yeah. is Mount Rushmore of, you know, that kind of level of, it's. I suppose it's probably like our parents spoke about John Charles. Yeah. You know, everybody you speak about John Charles, and it's. But he, he was just. He was an amazing person. Don't, granted, he was a very, very good footballer, unbelievable yeah. footballer. You know, he used to play left back in that Welsh team, oh, where yeah. every other week he would play. Every other week he would play in the centre midfield in the yeah. Premier League, and he would. You know, and you, you know, you'd look at him, and he was just like, wow. But it, it, it was just everything, the way he conducted himself, the way he spoke to it. As I said, he, he was speaking to me and he knew who we played against the weekend before, who we were going to be playing against. And it's just like, you know, he was, he was just a, he was a great man. He, he, he was just amazing. And yeah. you see every year when, you know, his birthday comes up and that the tributes that everybody who, who knew him and were lucky to play with him and against him as well. He, mm. As you say, there's not a bad word said about him. So yeah. everybody can't be wrong, can they? No, they can't, especially now when... I mean, I do remember, I have watched Gary Speed play. Uh, I have watched him play for Wales and I have had the absolute op best opportunity uh, to meet him. And I remember so well, it was a, it was a Cardiff City match, um, but I think he was building up to uh, a Wales game or something. And uh, one of the, some of the Wales players, I think Darcy Blake, wherever he is nowadays, but, <laughs> but uh, it, you know, I think he was coming to watch some of those players. And next you know, because um, I was hunting for autographs like I used to do and uh, next you know I see a man in a nice nice suit I give that man credit for having a nice style <laughs> and he's walking through around the cars I'm thinking that's Gary Speed there and just walked up and and thing is I just didn't know what to say because it was Gary Speed and I just went <laughs> like that to yeah. him and, and he's like oh you you right do you want me to sign out I went yeah and I had a picture of them and got it framed and everything. And, oh, just yeah, the honour, absolute honour. Exactly, exactly. And as I say, he is very sorely missed. It's a tragedy, it really yeah. is. Moving on to uh, from Wales now. So coming up to your time towards the end of your Brentford career, um, you then went on to, if I'm right, and guess, I got my uh, research here, my pads and that. Um, you went to Bradford. Yeah, is that right then? Uh, did you yeah, go to Brentford to I did, Bradford? Yeah. That's going to be a mouthful, isn't it? From Brentford to Bradford. Uh, just, yeah, all the bees. Yeah. Um, was there any clubs that were looking to have your signature on, on the dotted line? Or there, Yeah, there was a few. I was, I was coming out of, I was out of contract and I think I'd scored something like 
10 or 11 goals, maybe a couple more that season. Um, and there was one or, you know, one or two things that were supposedly going to happen and they wanted, but in football, it was always, you know, and then I had a, a firm offer from a few clubs and Bradford was, Bradford seemed, you know, really attractive. They'd only come down from the Premier League a, a year or two earlier. Um, they were wanting to, to get back up with a younger kind of team and everything. And there were some good pros there as well, but I didn't really know exactly what was going to go on, but it's football, you know, people can say this and that, but if I didn't, if I hadn't signed for Bradford City, then I didn't get the chance to play for Nottingham Forest, which happened, you know, 18 months or so later, which, you know, is, is the biggest and best football club I got to play for. And what what was playing for Bradford City like then? Because, you know, uh, for, they League one or League two now? I can't remember, but in that. I think the league, I think the league, do you know what? I, I think the league two at the moment. Yeah, I think they are lead too. I was, in all fairness, um, when they got to the finals of that League Cup, um, you know, I, I was all for them. I didn't care about Swansea, and that's not me because, uh, you know, Swansea and Cardiff issue, I, that ain't nothing to do with me. But I thought Bradford just, they were scratching and clawing their way to that final. And to yeah. lose and to lose five 0 to Swansea, I thought, oh, because that I think if they would have gone into um, into Europe, you know, that League Two club playing in Europa League and get that much money, you know, because they're playing against European big European clubs, I think that would have helped yeah. big time to get promotion and you know, dare I say well, it? Yeah, but you, you say that and they've been back, you know, they've had the playoff final and they've had a couple of other good. Good cup run, so I, I I don't know. It seems to be, I don't know. The club has always maybe had a few money troubles since um, Mr. Richmond left all them years ago. So I don't know. I still live not far from you know just on the outskirts. So well in Yorkshire, so I live not far from Bradford, not far from Leeds. But um, it is a bit sad sometimes how it has demised. Um, but as I say, that's the that's the times with football as well, isn't it? There's there was a few things went on when I was there that was a bit. You know, you mean you hear stories about signing certain players when they're Premier League in London because they didn't want them <laughs> to come up to Bradford or to see the training ground or or no training ground as there was back then. Yeah. So yeah, and Valley Parade, twenty five thousand seat capacity. You know, stadium in League Two, but but that just goes to show if you just look back on Bradford, they were a decent big club. You know, to have a yeah. Well, as you say, they had a couple of years in the Premier League. They signed some. Signed some big hitters and big names back in the day, you know. Um, but they slowly went down. And as I say, things, you know, I, I played for them in the championship. And then I went back there three years after I left in League Two. And they were still getting crowds of 15,000, 18,000 then. You know, they did a, a very good scheme with the season tickets. Um, but as I say, I, I don't know. They, they seem to have kicked on a few years and then they got relegated. And I think with different owners as you know, different owners have different um, ways or visions of how the club are going to go. And it's it's hard to put them into place. You know, everybody has a vision of how they want their life, but there's not many who actually go along that vision, is there? Yeah. Um, so when you were going on to Nottingham Forest now, um, when you went to Nottingham Forest, how did that transfer happen? And, and what was it like to play for Nottingham Forest, really? Yeah, um, well, the transfer was supposed to happen two, two and a half weeks earlier. Um, at this time, I'd 
deferred a certain part of our wages the year before and then we got that back and then we had to defer another big part of our wages um so the, a bid come in for Nottingham Forest and Bradford rejected it and I spoke with the manager Brian Wilson at the time and I was just like you know I'm only getting paid 50% of my wages um this is my chance to go and play for a massive club you know I wonder and he was like well you know it's it's not me who's made the decision I understand where you're coming from and then all of a sudden, back in the old days, it was um, about five o'clock on a Thursday was the transfer deadline. I think it was the last Thursday in, in March. And at half past four, I got a call from my agent saying, uh, Bradford have accepted a deal from Forrest. You better get to the ground quick to sign. I, I signed on loan so I could get it done. And then I signed my permanent contract. But it was all a lot different contract than it was the two and a half weeks earlier, believe me. Uh, at your time at uh, Nottingham Forest, because I think it was, was it your first season that the team went were relegated. Um, yeah, my first full season. When I went there, they were in the bottom three. Um, me and Paul Gerrard signed on the same day, and we had a really good run of games. I think we went eight unbeaten, and we finished mid-table quite comfortably. Um, but then the next season, yeah, we um, we come in, and it probably started from pre-season. We went on a run the first day in the the fitness coach said he had a sore knee, so he told us to run around there and back. And it, it just, I don't know. There was a lot of things um, going on with the club and then we changed manager halfway through the season and we did end up getting relegated. Yeah, um, Probably not my best friend in football, Mr Gary Megson, become a manager and it was, uh, it was hard, especially the yeah. season when we got relegated because my last season that I played in League One before that I'd scored, as I said before, I think 11, 12 goals, but I was just literally, you know, uh, kicked out of the way down the corridor, told to keep away yeah. from the matches. It was, uh, it was hard. It was really hard. And it was, I'm just looking at the players because I had to write some of them down. But the squad you had, I thought, and they went down. It was, it was like Gareth, Gareth Taylor, Andy Melville, West Morgan, who went on to win the Premier League. I mean, yeah, you said Paul Jarrett, West Morgan, John Curtis, Des Walker, um, Des Walker, Chris. Well, Des yeah, Des in that season, I think Des only played one or two games because he'd retired the year before. Um, but he had to play at the start of the season. James Perch started that year and, and came up. Um, but it was um, it was difficult. There was, as I say, we're joking here. Alan Rogers and the NP, they were in the team. Uh, Marlon King. Yeah. So we, we didn't have a bad team. We, as I say, the team, it was there wasn't much changes from the team that when we'd gone eight unbeaten. Um, you know, but then when when Gary came in, he he kind of changed everything, and it was his way or the highway, and he brought his own kind of players in. And I've got to be I've got to be honest, the dressing room didn't like him at all. The yeah. dressing room did not like him at all. It it was it was hard for everybody. It was hard for everybody. Was there any big falling outs with him, the manager, then with the players? Uh... Um. Well. His first game, we played Millwall at home and we lost 2-1. And at Forest, you come up straight up the tunnel and the home dressing room's right in front of you. So we were all sat there after the game, you know, a bit gutted. And Danny Dickey on knocked on the door. I just take that next and you, you know. And everyone's like, what's he on about? A week or two later, everybody knew what he was on about. Um, it, it came to a head with me. Um, I'd been everywhere pre-season. Um, never played. Um got on for four minutes I think at Torquay away after going Denmark and everything then played in the reserves and was scoring a few 
And it was one day we were doing gym and I went to go in the gym and his fitness coach just put his arm across the door. He went, you're not coming in. I was like, what are you on about? He went, if you've got a problem, go and see the manager. So I went and seen the manager and he, I said, what's your problem? He said, are you thick? Can you not tell that I don't want you? I said, well, you said to me, if I come back pre-season, I'll have a fair chance as anybody. I've come back as fit as I can. I've completed everything. I'm scoring goals in reserves. He went, you'll never play. You'll never play for this club again. I was like, okay. So then I was training with about three or four of us. Um, match days, I had to go in at eight o'clock in the morning, train, and then be away by half past nine, ten o'clock. So we weren't allowed to be seen by the fans. Because if you're not seen by the fans, then they they forget you a bit. Then I'd get phone calls saying, oh, you're not going to be playing in the reserves. So I ended up asking Mick Hartford if I could train with Rotherham. I said, I just need to train. I said, and because Mick had been a coach at Forest with Joe. Um, and he was like, yeah, yeah. He said, but I can't afford to sign you. I was like, I'm not asking you to sign me, do anything. I said, I just want to train properly. I said, because if I need to. And I trained with Mick for a week and he said, um, I've done a deal with Forrest. He said, but we need your help. And I was like, what? He went, we can't pay you appearance money. I went, I don't want appearance money. He said, I'll sign. I don't want to play. I want to play football. Um, so I did. I played a few games for other one, but then I got injured in the week and I kept it quiet. And then at the weekend, I'd done something to my other knee so I ended up going in um, at the end of my loan and then I had uh, two knee operations one on each knee so I was out for two 12 13 weeks with that and when I got back it was literally well I wasn't allowed to do my rehab at Forest I was told if I wanted to I'd got to come in at six and seven o'clock at night and and then literally one of my last I got fit and then I think Megson got sacked and I'll never forget the next day, everybody went in and it was literally like a party. Everybody was laughing and joking. You know, it was literally, and the proof was in the pudding because two of the coaches took over and they nearly got in the playoffs from where they were nearly going to get relegated. You know, when you went to, there was a moment where uh, in the 2006-07 season and then the following season afterwards, you went from Swindon and then back to Bradford. What was happening? Yeah. What was happening during that time for you? Was you thinking about your position of, of playing football or were you just, just, like you said, you're just happy to play football? What was going on at that time? Um, I, went, I went to Swindon with Dennis Wise. Um, I had a phone call in the summer when my contract finished at um, Forest. And also I'd, I'd been in contact with Blackpool. They wanted to sign me because during my time at Bradford, I'd had a loan spell at Blackpool. Um, and Dennis Wise was like, look, I know how you play. I want you to come to Swindon. Um, you know, they were offering me quite a good deal, two, three years. And my wife was from not far from the area. So I thought, you know, and then we talked about it. And I said, do you know what? I went down there and I took a year's deal. I thought I'd play football for a year. I hadn't played much the year before. And I played and I was doing okay. I was, it was in League Two, but I was playing well. I'd scored quite a few goals, four or five, I think, before Christmas. And then I got a bad injury. I'd come back from... I'd come back from a knee injury and I thought I was only travelling with the team. But Paul Stoic said, oh, he named me on the bench. And I was like, kind of, what are you doing? I'm, you know, I've only trained two days. And then he put me on. Um, funny thing was, we had a French lad and he screamed and he got stretched off and taken to the hospital in an ambulance. So I went on after about 15 minutes. And then I, I come off that in about 70 minutes. One of my own players, I, I played a ball and he, he booted me just above the laces on your boots and I'd never been in so much pain. So I was like, wow, and I'd come off. So I went in the next day, which was Christmas Eve, 
went to the hospital, um, had x-rays and things, and then I had the doctors telling me it's an old injury, it's a new injury. I was like, look, 24 hours ago, I was fit. I could run, I could. I said, now I can't even walk. So they just put me in plaster for over Christmas. Every like, Christmas ball? <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally a red plastic. There you go, come back in 10 days. So I went back in 10 days and they were this and that, went to see a specialist and he went, okay. Um, and I had an ankle operation. And I remember waking up thinking, oh, it's burning on the inside, it was painful. That's why I asked the surgeon, he went, oh, you said it was painful there. So we, we opened you up, but nothing was there. I was like, oh, okay. So I was doing my rehab, was trying to come back and kept having this sharp stabbing pain all the time. So I went to a, a surgeon who did not operate on my knee, not far from me. Looking back now, I wish I'd have just, you know, said to the club at the time, no, I'll go and see some the surgeon by me. I've used him before. And he just took an extra and he went, that's the problem. I went, what? He went, they've left, left the bone at the bottom of your tibia, the osteophyte. They should have shaved that off. Um, so he did the surgery, did all that, come back fit pre-season. We won, we got promoted with Swindon, um, but hadn't heard nothing back from them all through the summer. So I thought this is a bit strange. So Bradford said, oh, you know, do you want to come in training? So I come in and they offered me a contract. So I thought, you know, I, I'll take that. I'm, I'm back home. Um, so was with Bradford, we had not a bad season, not a great one. We didn't make the playoffs. Um, but I'd had, for the first time in my career, they'd put something in the contract that if I made 23 appearances in the league, I get another year. Um, so halfway through January, start of February, get a phone call on the Friday night, um, just to let you know you're near. And I knew I was near. I needed one or two more. Um, we're not going to do it. And you need to look at the, the agent needed to look at the contract because it's not weighed in your favour. And I was like, pardon, it's 23 appearances another year. And it was like, um, no, it's not. So you're not going to play. So it was me and Darren Williams, the lad. I think that Darren played for Cardiff, I'm sure he did. You know, ex-Sunderland, well, kind of defender, sometimes midfielder. What was his name again? Um, Darren Williams. Yeah, I'm sure he did. And um, he, he played for Sunderland as well. Yeah, I'm having a look now. Darren Williams, there we are. Sunderland, 200 appearances, Cardiff City, Hartlepool, Bradford. Yeah, Bradford, there you go, yeah. yeah. So we were, we were in the same boat. So next thing, I get a phone call off Darren. He said, have you had that phone call? I went, yeah, he went, I can't believe it. So we, we, we carried on training for a couple of weeks and then they come to us and said, will you waiver that clause and if you carry on playing at the end of the season? So we were like, yeah, fair enough. And then it got to near the end of the season and they were like, no, we're not going to give you one. We want to try and pay you up. You know, and I was like, okay. So then they tried to negotiate and you're like, well, that's not even a figure that I get if I stay on. So we did that. And then, and then I, I really struggled to get a club. Um, I went on a couple of places on trial. I went, I went to one team on trial. I won't say they're in the league. And I was there for three weeks. And just before the season started, the manager said, um, I'm looking for someone a bit taller. And I just, I literally laughed down the phone and I went, Okay, thanks. And I just thought, if you've watched me for three weeks, you surely know how tall I play. I've played over 500 and something odd appearances throughout my career. You know, you're the one who phoned me. So it was that. And then I literally went, I ended up signing for Oxford and I'd started to fall out of love with football, to yeah. tell you the truth, with stuff going on there. It was, um, 
it was a bad eye opener. Mm. So that, that was it really. And then I started studying to become a massage therapist, sports massage therapist. Considering you were born in Oswestry, Street, I don't know if it's just a long shot in the dark really, but, but considering that you were born in, in, in Oswestry, Street, was there any consideration or any idea that towards the end of your football career that you could just um, try TNS at that, that stage? <laughs> just a shot in the dark, because considering, no. you know, um, because normally I, I, I speak to a few former players and there have been one or two that have taken a shot in the dark and said, you know what, I'm going to try for my local, local side or anything or you, the local team. And, and they have, they, they've gone on to become club legends there or anything, was it? And you just said then it was, it was a no, but, um, but consider. No, I did. So oh, when I was, I'd, no, I, I, I'd signed at Oxford in the September and it was only a deal till January. Um, and I got invited to watch TNS v Real when Real had Greg Strong, Neil Roberts, um, quite a few of them. So I got invited down and I, and I spoke to TNS and they were like, yeah, would, what would you do? I said, well, you know, I live in Yorkshire, but obviously my parents are there. What would you say? So I talked to them and then Real got in touch as well. Um, so th I spoke to them and then during, it went to the end of that season. Um, I did all my studying for my qualifications. I got them. But in that summer, Real said, will you come and train? We're in Europe. We really want to, you know, sign you up. Neil Roberts was there, as I say. Um, Greg Strong, there was a few. So I, I, I went and trained a few times with Real. And then they were just about to play in Europe. They were playing a big team abroad. I can't remember who it was. And um, they said that Oshin was part of the thing. And John Bickerstaff, he would have been the manager Probably. and they, they said yeah they said to me look we want to sign you they said but we're going to be honest with you now we don't know what's happening with the ownership of the club it, it, we've heard one or two things and it was back then and I was like I'm in an island I went okay so, so I didn't I didn't sign Gareth Owen was playing there as well Gaz Owen was playing there so I was like okay so I decided I didn't sign and I signed for a, a local I think it was Conference North team but then I got offered a job um, so I, I just I literally just finished playing football then because it, 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 got, it dawned on me that if I got injured playing on a Saturday for that team that they ain't gonna I've got no insurance then I need I need a job so then I started yeah. at Notts County um, yeah so TNS yeah I, I, I did speak to them I went and watched them um, as I say spoke to them all and everything and, and a bit with Rill and everything but no nothing nothing did ever did ever come come from that really yeah which is a shame really because in one way um you know growing up my dad used to work at a lance and fried so obviously tns were lance and fried yeah you're probably too young to remember that <laughs> oh, TNS, lance and fried. yeah oh, yeah yeah, yeah but it, it was lance and fried to start with yeah it, well considering because um you know when you become a welsh league fan especially with barry town who were the, the dominant side back in the late 90s early 2000s you know, yeah. um, you get to learn about the other clubs that Barry were around and Santa and Fry were considered to be the rivals of Barry because they were the only ones who can actually properly compete against them. I do. Yeah, well, they won I remember them winning the Welsh Cup. Yeah. Like Lance and Fry won the Welsh Cup. And, my, you know, my dad's boss was unbelievably, you know, he's ecstatic and everything. Yeah, I just, um, I look back at it and I just think, oh, and now TNS have taken the, have taken the, the, the throne of uh, Welsh football in some ways, but until Connors Key, 
you know, they were um, they they earned it in some ways, but they were given the Welsh Premier League title or Cymru Premier title. Yeah. yeah. But um, uh, you've now got yourself a job as a sports massage therapist. Then, and uh, what what clubs did you um, go to? Because I I saw that it was uh, Leeds United, and you said Sheffield United, and there was yeah, I um I did a year at Notts County. Um, a coach of mine who was who was then the manager at McParland. He was a coach of mine at Nottingham Forest. He, I, obviously, some, I just phoned up and said, you know, I, I'm newly qualified. I'll cut, is it okay to come in? I was going in at Leeds, all free of charge. Um, and I went into Notts County and they were paying me expenses and I started going in a few more days a week. And then Charlie, as he's, as he's known, he got the sack and I was like, oh no. And he got, I think he got the sack on the Monday and on the Tuesday, they offered me a full-time employment contract. I was like, wow. This is, you know, this was Sven Goran Eriksson was still there. It was, it was the time when Saul Campbell played one or two, one game, and you know, and I was like, right, so I, I, I had to, you know, I, there was a first job offer, right? So I, I took it, and it was great. We we won the league. There was some very big characters, um, but it was it was great. And then at the end of that season, Derby County um, asked me would I want an interview. Um, because they were, you know, they were looking for a massage therapist and I went for an interview and I got the job there. And, it, you know, again, that was brilliant. It was really good. Um, so I had a year there under Nigel Clough, which was strange times, but good times. You know, again, you're talking about the old school and um, you now it was really good. Um, but at the end of that season, um, I was let go. And I'm not going to lie, I bawled my eyes out. It happened on Friday the 13th and I bawled my eyes out. When you're a footballer, you know if you're going to get a new contract or if you're not. It's, it's quite, you know, I didn't see this coming. I mm. thought I'd, I'd worked as hard as I could. I'd gotten well with everybody. Um, and this just, this happened on Friday the 13th. And I remember pulling out of the training ground, pulling into a lay-by and phoning my wife and crying my eyes out because it, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. You know, they got in touch with me. They wanted me. Um, so, yeah, that summer was a bit strange. But um, a friend of mine said that Leicester City were looking for one. Um, and I just had a phone call and they offered me the job straight away. And I absolutely loved working at Leicester. I had two amazing years at Leicester. The people there were brilliant. They were really good. Um, and it got to a stage where, I, again, I had a phone call from Leeds United um, offering me the job. Um, but they knew I was at Leicester, so I spoke with Leicester and, you know, I was getting up at quarter to five in the morning and driving down to Leicester. Um, and I'd done that for two years, you know, and the previous two years for that was driving to Nottingham and, and to Derby. So Leeds, Leeds' training grounds, 45 minutes up the road. So I, I sat down with my wife and we ummed and ahed and, you know, and, and I don't think I would have, if Leeds and Leicester were exactly the the same distance apart I wouldn't have left Leicester as I say I, I really enjoyed it and then I went and had six years at Leeds United which was wow interesting to say the least <laughs> a, roller a roller coaster is probably like a, a little ride on a bumper car not even that if you'd say them six years at Leeds United it was uh, yeah, some crazy crazy things happened <laughs> and you you're sworn to secrecy is it to keep I, I'm not I, no I'm not sworn to secrecy but it's well publicised with the ownership what went on I had yeah I think I, I think I had 
what did I work it out as? If, if you counted intern managers, I had um, three owners of the club. I think it was 11 or 12 managers in six years. So it was um, <laughs> proper roller coaster. Yeah, it was, it was madness. It was madness. And I left Leeds last year. Um, it, it was just literally the time was right to leave. And, um, and then I, I've worked at Sheffield United for the last year or so. And it's, I'm really, really enjoying it. I've, I've kind of got my buzz back and everything because, as I say, it was, things were happening at Leeds and it was quite draining. There's a lot of stuff that goes on off the field at football clubs which nobody knows about. Yeah. And I'll sometimes, well, quite a few times at Leeds, the press were coming out with things and we had to bite our lips because they weren't happening. But yeah. the press believed that they're happening and they still got some of the, some of the local press still go on as though these things happened four or five years ago and you just feel like saying they didn't. The yeah. people who leaked them stories to you were telling rubbish. It didn't happen. Just saying a few of this, that, that's what it is probably, you know. And, it, and trying to keep in with the local press at the time. Yeah. It, 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 honestly, it was amazing. And I, I know how much of a massive club Leeds United is. It, it, it is a big club, you know, and they're back in the Premier League and everything. But, you know, I used to speak to my dad and that about it. And he just used to say, Dad, if, if people knew 20%, 30% what was actually going on behind... It would be, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. As I say, it was eventful, but for six years of your life, bloody hell, it was crazy. <laughs> well, at this moment in time, I think on behalf of the Wales fans or Wales community, uh, send our regards to Ethan Ampadu for coming into Sheffield United, which is cracking for Ethan, though. I mean, he needs some game, game time, anything, and we couldn't be more happy that he's actually picked a proper club like uh, Sheffield United to give him that benefit and opportunity to come in and show what he's capable of. Yeah. Yeah, very, yeah. Um, seems, seemed a really nice, a really nice bloke as well. Yeah. You know, I had a couple of chats with Ethan. He played last night, played very well. We play a kind of a unique system and a new, unique way of playing um, Sheffield United. And he, he slotted in last night and did very, very well. Um, I had one or two chats with him and told him that I used to play against his dad and that as well. And then he came in the other day and said he was 20. You're like, you're born in 2000. We're like, no, how, how old are we? <laughs> you know, I, I celebrated my 46th birthday a couple of weeks before. And he's like, I used to play against your dad and everything. He's like, but no, um, seems, a, seems a very good player, very accomplished player. Um, good on the ball. But um, I work with a colleague who's the masseur for Wales anyway, Chris Senior. So he's told us all about Ethan and everything anyway. So, um, yeah. Um, I really hope Ethan has a good season this year. Last question on this podcast, and I'm very grateful that you actually came on to tell your stories and everything. So I think I'm going to sum up in this last question. And I say this to everyone, uh, everyone, and for some reason they seem to be taken back by this question, but how do you look back on your career? Um, with happiness. I was privileged to play. Um, 16, 17 years of professional football it's all I wanted to do um, people say would you change anything but you could change things but you don't know what's going to I, I did um, I did the job that I love doing and I was privileged I got to play for my country um, and you know it was two caps I was in the squad five or six times but you can't take that away from me um, I wouldn't change it for this world the only thing I would change is I wish I had played at Anfield. 
I yeah. never got to play at Anfield. I played against them for Shrewsbury. Um, and it was at the game end though. Everyone thought it was going to get changed. I thought it was going to get changed. Then the game got called off and I'd been sent off in the replay. So I had a four-match ban. And me and a couple of the other lads were shoveling snow off the pitch to get a game on so we could play against them. But um, no, that that's my only thing. And, that, and I used to laugh and joke about that near the end of my career. Like um, when I was at Oxford and stuff, they were like, oh, I said, look, even if I played a reserve game at Anfield and they said, this is the last time game you're going to play football. I'd be like, yeah, fair enough. I want to play at Anfield. I never got to play it. there. That's, that's regret. I don't think it's a regret because I never really got the chance to, but it, I, I loved my career, even the bad bits. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, thank you for coming on the show and just talking about career. No problem. And, it's, uh, and it's great to just have a, a nice chat about you know, and there's there's some things I, I didn't even know, and it's great to hear you know uh, your about your experience, about the clubs you played for, and any guest that comes on, it's always new, it's always refreshing, and and I thought, and funny enough, um, I had Steve Jenkins who, uh, who came on the show, and uh, he said to me, it's a Welsh football family, so you know, and yeah. it's always there. To no, he's, he's right, yeah, yeah, and he's definitely right, and uh, I just want to say a big thank you so much for coming on. No problem at all. Right. Thank you for inviting me. No worries. So, guys, thank you so much. That was Paul Evans on the Dragons Voice podcast. And I, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. And, uh, and especially around this time, you know, and I keep saying this over and over again, just uh, just keep hanging on. We're going to get there in the end. And one day we're going to be back in the stands. It doesn't matter. You're at Anfield or Jenna Park. It doesn't matter. We're going to be there and we're going to be giving abuse to the opposition players. Okay? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. We're going to get there. But anyway, let's just keep the football spirit going, whether it's on the telly or where you're volunteering or doing anything, right? These football clubs are going to need your help. And they know you're, they're going to help you as much as you're going to help them. But anyway, thank you so much for tuning in to the Dragon's Voice podcast. I've been your host, Kirby Reese and I'll see you all very soon. Cheers.